0: Welcome to Seeking Alpha CEO Interviews. Quality of leadership is a decisive
1: factor in stock performance. So we provide in-depth interviews with the best and brightest CEOs in the public markets. We publish limited excerpts from our interviews on social media platforms and the full interviews at SeekingAlpha.com and in the highly rated Seeking Alpha mobile app. To find the full interviews, open SeekingAlpha.com
0: or the Seeking Alpha mobile app and search for the phrase CEO interviews or simply type a stock ticker into the search box.
1: Today, we're gonna to sit down and talk to Michael Murphy, CEO of Rosecliff Capital. Mike, thanks for being with us at Seeking Alpha.
0: Thank you, Josh. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, Rosecliff Capital. If People don't haven't heard about it. Um, we'll get into SPACs, obviously, in a minute. Um, that's a huge thing that's going on. People obviously don't know a lot about it. And looking forward to diving into all of that uh, coming up right now. Great. Tell us about so,
0: yourself, Mike. Sure. So I've um, been in the financial services industry for about uh, 20 plus years. Um, I had a, um, a trading and retail small banking operation, a broker dealer um, for about 20 years. And about uh, six years ago, I realized that the angel investments that I'd been making um, on the side, like just friends and family type investments in private, te- basically, mostly technology companies here in New York um, where the portfolio was really growing and was really doing well. So thought about building a business around it. So we launched Rosecliff One, which was a seed stage fund. So investing in very early uh, private companies, and that was a $25 million fund. And fortunately, I had a great team that I put together behind me and we met some great entrepreneurs. So we had good success out of the gates with Fund One led to Fund 2 the next year, Rosecliff 2, which was a $75 million fund going a little later stage, Series A and B deals. The next year, we did Fund 3, which was north of $200 million, um, which was for later stage deals. And then we've kind of followed on each year, Fund Four Five Six and 7, which was a credit fund, um, which we closed last year. So we're about a billion dollars in uh, assets under management now. And we have um, been very fortunate to meet some great founders, some great entrepreneurs. Um, some companies, a a few of the companies that have gone public, a few of the companies that have been acquired. But, um, you know, some names like uh, Allbirds and Wheels Up and Roman and Casper and Postmates. We've been fortunate to invest in these companies in uh, the private markets. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, so far, so good. So some
1: people have heard about specialty purpose vehicles, SPVs. Some people may have heard about blank check companies. A lot of people have heard about SPACs. Can you tell us a little bit about what a specialty purpose acquisition company is? Maybe some advantages uh, behind that.
0: Sure. So, you know, there was a time on Wall Street where SPAC was kind of a four-letter word. Um, It was a a vehicle for a company that was too small or didn't have the right backing to be an institutional IPO, initial public offering. So they would go the SPAC route, but that's a long time ago. Um, Over the course of the last few years, really 2019, Um, special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs really started to come mainstream. The reason for it, in my opinion, is that you had so many years of companies staying private longer. You know, you heard a lot about it with Uber, where they were raising another $10 billion round and another $10 billion round. And you had companies like SoftBank that had very large checks, large venture capital funds got very big and wanted to invest more large checks. You had more regulations in the public markets. So for high growth technology businesses, a lot of them were staying private longer. As things started to shift, companies said, well, I can now go public. I can get liquidity. I can have a public currency that I can use for acquisitions. I can have my employees getting paid or selling securities um, so that they have money. Um, So that started to shift in 2019. In 2020, it really took off where a lot of companies and some of the big ones um, that you've seen like um, Virgin Galactic, DraftKings uh, to to name a few, but there's been so many now, um, started to go public. And you know, like we see on Wall Street a lot, a lot of times people go to where the success is. Um, So as more and more people were doing it, um, it got more press coverage. And then people like myself, the, the venture capital fund managers, a lot of us said, hey, that would be really cool to have a vehicle to take a great private company to the public markets. So it kind of fed off itself a little bit um, to the point where maybe it got too big and the SEC said, hey, we're gonna change some regulations around this uh, earlier this year and really slowed down SPAC IPOs. So to step back a second, a SPAC is a blank check company. So in our case, um, Rosecliff Special Purpose Acquisition Company One or RCLFU, what we raised $253 million in an IPO. um, So listed on the NASDAQ and um, that money's in trust. And we're out, we meet with companies and um, I have a great team there also, but we're meeting with private companies um, to do a merger and use our money from trust 253 million plus a pipe or a uh, private investment in a public entity um, use more institutional money to take a high growth private business to the public markets. So that, that's what a SPAC is. That's what a SPAC does. But, um, you know, I kind of, I have a very strong feeling about this. You know, you've, you've heard a lot or your viewers have heard a lot, SPACs are good or SPACs are bad. And um, to me, that's kind of like saying stocks are good or bad or IPOs are good or they're bad. And they're, they're neither. There are some great IPOs. Uh, Apple was an IPO. There are some terrible IPOs. Same thing with SPACs. So you're going to have some great companies that go public via SPAC. But really, it's just another vehicle to get a company from the private market into the public market. Once you're there, it really comes down to execution. It really comes down to whether or not the company can continue to meet expectations, beat expectations, and um, operate their business in a way that they have follow the business plan, that's what makes a good company versus a bad company in the public markets, whether they got there through an IPO or a direct listing or a SPAC.
1: What are the differences? I mean, we don't need to get into the intricacies too much, but are there advantages or what is the, what is the ultimate difference for people who don't know the process of going IPO versus a SPAC or RTO?
0: So the, the main difference really is that you hear a lot of times a SPAC is a faster process. And you know it, it may or may not be, I, I think it's becoming what you're seeing. It used to be that SPACs were better for smaller companies and an IPO or a traditional IPO would be better for larger companies. Um, but now you're seeing IPOs coming down and you're seeing SPACs moving up. So um, I think that's not really the case anymore. The, the one difference when you're going for to list your company um, through a traditional IPO, um, you can only talk by, by law about historical numbers, what you've done in the past. When you wanna take your company public through a SPAC, you are allowed to talk about not just what you're doing currently or what you've done in the past, but what you plan to do in the future. So, like, you know, a, a big um, sector was electric vehicles um, or battery makers for electric cars. And a lot of them said, hey, you know, we're not doing anything right now, but a year from now or two years from now, three years from now, gosh, we're, we're going to be doing great. We're going to be making a lot of money. So therefore, we want to get priced on a multiple of where we're going to be in three years and go public using that number uh, through a SPAC where you couldn't do that if you were going through a traditional
1: IPO. Mm-hmm. Why would... An investor want to. Uh, why would somebody want to invest in a SPAC? Um, looks like there's a, a good opportunities for in exposure or investing in, uh, you know, tech companies or whatnot. But why would an investor be interested in a, in a SPAC?
0: Yeah. So it, it's really not the SPAC, it's the company. So it, it's I, like I would rephrase that. Why would you? Why would an investor invest in an IPO? And there are some great IPOs and some not great IPOs. So really, it comes down to an investor has a chance to invest in a company that um, is going to be that they hope a great return and some people may be looking at it as the next apple or the next tesla or they may be looking at the individual name as a quick trade. But it's really why why would someone invest in a company, a you know small so between 234 billion dollar range company An investor would be investing there with the hope or the belief um, that it's gonna turn into you know, a name uh, the next Netflix or Apple or Amazon. Um, so it's a chance for the smaller investor. Remember when you know, Facebook or Uber or even Coinbase, when Coinbase listed a month ago, if you're sitting at home as an individual investor, you buy when they open on their direct listing, it's a $100 billion value that you paid. Well, now it's about half that, about 50 billion. Um, but if they had come out at the two or three billion dollar range you the individual investor have the opportunity provided the company performs to partake in the upside in that business so really you're you're doing it to get in early on a high growth story
1: mm-hmm. we're seeing some uh, market corrections right now in in tech uh and cryptocurrencies are there potential downside risks for um risks for investing in a spac
0: yeah, there there are, but I would say they're the same as investing in any other new issue or, you know, they're, so they don't have a long history. You don't know the business. You can't point to their last 12 quarters of public earnings because they didn't have them. So it's really, you're investing in an early company. Um, but I, I would say it's very similar for a SPAC to an IPO. It's a new company listed on the exchange. So if you're going to invest in it, you have to, you don't have a, company track record to go off. So you have to believe what the company's telling you and hope that the company is able to execute on their plan. And if they're not, that stock price should go lower. Their earnings, if they don't execute, the earnings shouldn't hit the numbers that they're projecting. And therefore, the stock should be worth less and the price should go lower. However, if they beat and raise and exceed, those earnings should be more and the price should go higher.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what are some um, guidance for the SEC? Uh, Just looking at the the chairman, uh, or at least uh, Jay Clayton, was not too keen on SPACs. So, if the SEC is considering some kind of crackdown on SPACs, uh, do you have any SEC guidance on what that's going to mean for the SPAC marketplace?
0: You know, for sure, they don't want to tip their hand on that. Like, so they came out um, about six weeks ago and said they wanted to change how warrants were treated for specs. Um, really just for for me, so for a sponsor, really has no impact on me because we have audited, we have our financials done by our accounting firm, and then we have our financials audited by our auditors. Um, however, the change that the SEC put in, while it seemed kind of innocuous at, at, at first, it's really forced a lot of companies that Went out um, to the public markets via SPAC over the course of the last year or year and a half, and have reported public earnings. They have to now go back and restate those earnings. So, what, what, whether it's in, was intended or unintended, I'm not certain, but it definitely slowed down the new issuance of SPACs, because for if you wanted to go out and do a SPAC today, you need to have an accounting firm and you need to have an auditing firm. And right now you are not going to find an accounting firm or an auditing firm that will take your SPAC public unless you've done it three or four or five times before because they're all have more than they can handle to restate the earnings because of this rule change. So, you know, that one, I think it's just a matter of one, once people get caught up on that, it's not gonna have an impact long-term. I, I, I guess the the one thing kind of from a, a for an in so talking about the individual investors, the retail investors at home, you know, you mentioned crypto. You know, is Bitcoin worth sixty-four thousand, or is it worth uh, forty-four thousand, or is it worth fourteen thousand where it was to start the year? I don't know. But if you're trading Bitcoin, you need to be aware of the risks associated with it and the corrections that come with it. If you're investing. And by the same along the same lines, if you're investing in the next hot electric vehicle company or the next hot electric vehicle battery company that has no revenue has no product. But in three or four years they're going to and you're giving you're paying a valuation of $5 billion today for the hope that there's a vehicle being sold in three or four years, you need to be very careful now. If you did that with Tesla years ago, it's been a very profitable trade for you. But there's one Tesla in in my opinion. So the odds of you or me finding the next one may may be tough, but if you want to go look for that and say, you know, I know there's a huge risk here, but if I get this right, there's gonna be a huge reward for me, then good for you. But I, I think that's one thing where the regulators may come out and try to prohibit companies from giving forward guidance. Um, I, I think it, the, the best way to solve for that, in my opinion, is to really help educate the public and to know that, you know, when you're investing your hard earned money in any company, what the, a, a listed company, a private company, a SPAC, an IPO, uh, understand the, the risk reward profile of every investment you're making. Um, all that does is help people to avoid getting blown up in a Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever it is, or an individual stock or, or the market in general, uh, for that matter. If, if people uh, were more educated around the investing, just investing 101, I think that would be great for everybody.
1: What do you say to people uh, who claim that there's a SPAC bubble? Uh, it seems like there's a lot of news about it and then they seem almost like they're over it. Um, last year, I think there was a a roughly around 247 new SPACs that were formed. There was at least 83 billion in capital uh, through that. And then another interesting stat is between 2019 and 2020, there were more SPACs created in those two years than the prior 18 years combined. Is that enough to to claim that there's a SPAC bubble? Yeah, I I think that's one of the the
0: most important Topics around SPACs. And I would say without question, there's no there is no SPAC bubble. You see the headlines all the time, but again, take out SPAC and, and put IPO. Mm-hmm. So there have been more SPACs recently. There were a, last year was a record year, as you point out, roughly 250. And this year we surpassed that in the first three months of the year. Fine. But a SPAC, like so, for instance. Rosecliff Acquisition Corp, our SPAC, is trading at at book value. It's at 10. It's trading at cash. There's there's nothing, no bubble there um, whatsoever. And there's a lot of SPACs like that that are trading at their cash value. um, And to be frank, that's where they should be trading. For us, we have cash. We should be trading at our cash. We're not worth $11 a share at this moment, but we're also not worth $9 a share. So we're where we're supposed to be. I think what what to say we're in a bubble is the same to say, you know, pick at, Bitcoin is in a bubble. You know, if you if you're in at five months ago, you're you're very happy in this bubble. If you bought at 2 weeks ago, you're not so happy in the bubble. But I, I think you know I'll point out one kind of um, well-known spec um, from the the uh, the company Churchill. There was a, a spec called Churchill Four. That was rumored to be merging with or bringing public um, the next Tesla called Lucid Motors, hmm. and it was um, got a lot of publicity. It was around the same time as the GameStop saga was going on. Um, Wall Street bets a lot of people were waiting for it, watching for it. You know, reading message boards. Um, there were a lot of online, a lot of on- online speculation around Lucid and Churchill Force (CCIV) a symbol so this company that just like ours was worth ten dollars a share because for the most part that's where spac goes public is ten dollars a share on the speculation that churchill four was going to be merging with lucid motors which may be the next tesla may not be um, the stock went from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40. It got up to sixty-four dollars a share. It's worth ten. Got up to sixty-four because this rumor they were going to merge with Lucid. Well, they did merge with Lucid, but from sixty-four, now as the news came out, it came all the way back down, and now it's trading in the high teens. So that I'll I'll say, and it's always easier in hindsight. That was a bubble. That was a, something that got ahead of itself on just. Uh, a, a mania around it and around people saying you have to own this next best tesla in lucid so you just pay up for um for um ccib churchill but the idea that the SPAC market is a bubble is, is kind of I, I think um i would argue it's kind of factually incorrect because there are so many SPACs out there that are trading at, at their cash value it's you, people say the market's in a bubble, but certain stocks are gonna do well, certain stocks are not gonna do well. The, um, in the market, remember, we, we measure the averages. So if that average is extended and comes down, you could say that was a bubble. But in the SPAC world, now there are some ETFs around it, but when, when you say SPACs are in a bubble, that implies that all SPACs have reached um, valuations that, that are just overheated and where they shouldn't be trading. And that that's just factually incorrect.
1: Mm-hmm. What's your take? You mentioned uh, AMC, Wall Street bets, and and the pervasive risk taking that we're seeing, the speculation in the market that is frothy, that that does look like a bubble. As we're kind of in this longest bull run in in market history, um, what is your your brief takeaway from that Wall Street bets? And do you think that it's eroding confidence in the market to the point where people are gonna look for algorithms? Will AI and machine learning take over public equity investing in the form of automated algorithmic trading or would it just go back to normal? Uh,
0: I, I think no, you know, so let, let me go back a little bit. So 2008 financial crisis, um, so many people lost confidence. So many individual retail investors threw in the towel at the bottom or younger generation saw their parents throw in the towel at the bottom, lose a lot of money in the market, and then saw the market just in 18 months go back to making new highs. Um, and so th- I think there was a generation that didn't have confidence in the markets. And what happened now recently, and again, everyone, great way to get the confidence back is lock everyone in their house for a year, um, st- in front of a screen, um, which is what we had with the um, COVID pandemic. And then you, you had things like GameStop. You had things like new issues and SPACs and high growth companies, and you had cryptocurrency, and you have people logging on to their either their phone or their computer and say, wow, this guy made a million dollars trading um, Ethereum, and this guy made $2 million in GameStop or $50 million buying call options in GameStop. Wow, that's cool. I would like to do that. So you get the fear of missing out, the human psychology of, I want to get some of that also. And um, people started to in- invest. Well, I'll, let me change that. People started to gamble on the market. Mm-hmm. The idea of investing and in getting a 10% annualized return that would double someone's investment every seven years um, had, had, I think, didn't have appeal to this generation of investors. It was, the idea that you could make 10 times your money in a very short amount of time and post it on social media, I think that was really the uh, allure there. So I, I've seen things like this coming. I was around in 99 um, when the tech market um, crashed. Um, I was around in 08. When I see individual investors coming in and just, you know, with the idea that, hey, I need to take my, life savings and turn it into a million dollars by next month. That's, that just doesn't end well. So I think whatever vehicle they're using, if that's crypto, if it's options, if it's um, SPACs, if it's IPOs, if it's the market, whatever people are using, you know, you, you, if you look at the risk reward parameter, you know, when you're going all in and taking all the, all your chips and pushing them into one company, Sure, it's great when you hit, but it's rare that that works out for people. So I, I hope this has brought more people into the markets. And I hope that um, people understand the risk reward setup better and start to do more investing and less gambling in the markets.
1: Mm-hmm. So you recently announced uh, a $220 million SPAC, if I'm not mistaken. It was,
0: it was upsized. We we did a, it, it ended up being uh 253. Okay. 253 million.
1: 253. So between your active investing, so you guys um work with each portfolio management company regularly, right? And you guys have a due diligence process. So you guys have an investment team, legal counsel, experience internal networks, all of that. So obviously, before you go in and you invest in a company, there's some serious due diligence. Um some of these SPACs are failing some aren't does it come down to due diligence can you kind of explain um, a little bit about what it takes to succeed and why certain uh certain SPACs fail um why the certain um
0: you know i think a lot of it comes down to execution you know um there there are some companies out there that um have executed and done well you know some one of the best performing SPACs out there um recent SPACs is playboy Mm -hmm. you know it's now if you if you had offered me the opportunity to merge with playboy i wouldn't have been interested that that to me doesn't sound like something that would be a good long-term investment but i would be wrong on that Mm -hmm. you know you had uh potato chips uh, another one that's done really well um i wouldn't have seen that either Um, but then you have DraftKings, and oh now they're legalizing gambling everywhere um, and you, you're seeing the leagues really get behind the push into gambling, which is another discussion for next time, maybe. Um, but, um, you know, so now you look at DraftKings and you say, oh, yeah, that, that's an easy one. Of course, that's going to take off with um, the legalization of gambling. So um, I, I think when, when you're looking at a SPAC, you don't really have the history of saying like, oh, well, here's what they did last year or here's what they did last time interest rates were rising or inflation was starting to spike um you know they're they're new companies so i think for it, just on the surface you, you want to understand that there's more risk involved with a new company um and there's more risk involved with a newly public company because they don't have a track record of saying hey this ceo and this cfo their team they they understand how to make the proper guidance how to meet their guidance, how to beat their guidance, so that analysts continue to raise their estimates, which continue to inflate the price of the stock. So when, when you're talking about a new, a new company, uh, a newly issued company or a SPAC, a lot of times you're, you're making a bet that the company will execute in the future. Um, you know, Similar to what we do investing in a private company. You know, we're, we're investing at a series A round at a $20 million valuation with the hope that it becomes a multi-billion dollar company years down the road. Um, but a lot, a lot happens between that series a round and a public filing um, of a multi-billion dollar company and a lot can go wrong there also. Um, so I think for, for people at home, they need to understand what, what it is they're investing in. And like, you know, look at recent history, like the Churchill, um, CCIV example I gave and say, well, a, a SPAC that's just a cat, a company with cash that is ten dollars per share. Buying that at sixty-four dollars a share is never going to be a good is probably never going to be a good move for an individual investor. So it's understanding you know that you want a great company, you want um, a great industry, you want a great management team, but you also have to pay a good price as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So all the things you're looking at, a good management team, what about um, when you're doing your due diligence, um, are you looking at you know, the employees as well? Um, curious about what you're looking at when you do invest in a SPAC, um, investing in, in private companies and, and how important it is for management and the, the quality of the staff that they have. Sure. So just to
0: clarify, so for this, from the SPAC side, we would be merging with one, when we find the correct company, we'll be merging with one company and being public there. From our fund business, from the Rosecliff Ventures fund business, we have uh, maybe 130 or 140 portfolio companies there. So when we're making investments in private companies, I have a great team behind me that really tears apart. We start with the financials. um, Then we look at the industry. By the time it gets to me, I'm really focused on the management team. So it's less the employees, you know, that sometimes a company may have a team of eight. Sometimes they may have a team of 108. But it's really, it's hard to get to know each person in in each company as you go down the food chain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But really what I'm looking at is I, I want a manager, a management team led by a CEO that can do great when things are when everything's going well, it's kind of easy to be the CEO of the company. Everyone loves you, everything's going great, sales are great, people wanna give you money, everything's great. But there's always a hiccup along the way, there's always a bump in the road and not every CEO is great at dealing with diversity. Um, so it's a, a big part of, personally for me, when, when a company gets to my level, I'm I'm really trying to figure out if we want to make a bet on the management team and really starting with the CEO, do we want to, do we believe that this individual and this team have what it takes? So the the fact that they got here, there's something to the story, but if, if things go bad, are they going to be able to, if they will get knocked down. Will they be able to get up? Um, so the the management team to me is, Vital. I, I can't. I can't name one great company out there that is run by a bad management team. So,
1: what about what about a common denominator of what makes uh, a successful founder? Like when you do find all of these management teams, is there something that you're consistently seeing that all of them possess or have uh, that you find intriguing or is leading towards you know higher returns? Is there anything that you're grabbing from this management team? That is consistent across the board um, throughout your investments trying
0: to but just sh- short answer no you know white black male female everything in between um, you know it, it, if, if we could if, if we could solve for that you know it would be kind of easy because um, it would only back the, the great CEOs um, no it's you know because when, when you're making the initial investment sometimes you're investing in someone who might be 26 and you know, fast forward now, they're 32, married, and have two kids, and they might be a different person. They might be better as a CEO, or they might have no have lost interest as a CEO. And there's a lot of things that play along in there. They may have sold tens of millions of dollars of their private stock along the way, so they're not as incentivized where they have to make this work. So there, there's so many factors in there, um, but, you know, n- no they, they need to be hungry. They, they need to be, um, you know, good leaders, but, um, you know, it's really hard to, you know, in, in the time that we spend with them, we're we're trying to get that part, right. Cause if all we did, if I could say, you know, we only back the best CEOs and the best management teams, it, it would, it would our, my job would be a lot easier, but you know, it's sometimes, um, you know, we try to do that, but there, there's really not, I mean, when people, I'd say pretty much all of the founders who we meet with, um, that we are considering investing with, they know enough to come in and put on a great show. Um, Like my job is really to try to understand who's just acting and isn't really good at um, what they're saying they're good at, and who really is good. And, you know, when you get that part right, and you see a company that is forced to pivot and is really rocked um, and you know could potentially be put under. And you see a management team really pull the company up by their bootstraps and rally everybody and have to lay people off, but um, be able to rally and get lean and cut salaries and then turn it around and make progress and then become an even bigger and better company than you envisioned, um, that, that's, that's the best um, investment. When it starts out and goes right, um, it's great. But but when there's um, some rockiness in the middle, um, it becomes even more rewarding, if that makes sense.
1: There's a couple of companies, um, I guess I'll just list them. WeWork seems to be one that wanted to go public at a $47 billion, 40 something billion dollar valuation. They just lost 2 billion that I'm aware of uh, when their market cap was really only three or four. <laughs> Um, so they're trying to go to this public, public markets to, to sell everybody on that $47 billion valuation. But now do you kind of see that there's another one I'll mention MedMen in the cannabis space, a lot of publicity, um, a lot of excitement about the, the retail operations and being a multi-state operator. And then without the proper management, like you described kind of just crumbled, I would think the same thing with WeWork management wasn't probably, um, equipped to handle that type of volume, market cap, expansion, scaling, all of that? Do you kind of see those companies having a second life through SPAC? Um, What do you think is going to happen with WeWork specifically?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it's a great one. So WeWork, um, you know, it started as a great American success story, you know, this startup and kind of a charismatic CEO who, um, you know, had built this, Almost fifty billion dollar enterprise, and then things turned on it, and now you you have someone like SoftBank who had billions of dollars invested in the company on the way up, and then they came in and added more to their position on the way down, um, and now as they go public through a SPAC, you know what what happens to WeWork? What's the future of WeWork? You know, I think that there's there's an argument to be made that. WeWork, when it goes public, it has great upside, you know, especially as the economy uh, unlocks, as people are getting back into the office, as maybe there's uh, more people working um, semi-remote, semi in the office, um, or larger offices opening satellite space. So there's a lot there for WeWork, but we, WeWork is a company that, easy to say now, got way ahead of itself, and easy to say now. Looks like maybe there were some management mistakes there, um, and that's one one company that if you invested at the high level on in the private markets, you didn't do well. Um, but now it's reset in the in the public markets um, as it goes public to respect. And I'm really interested. I'm watching that closely because I, I think the sentiment is so negative. People think we work bad, and um, I, I don't think that's the case. I think. Um, I want to see, so I wouldn't invest in WeWork today or, or through the SPAC today, but I will watch it closely. And I I think they have a, uh, I think they have an opportunity to rewrite their story. They have an opportunity to execute on their business plan. And if they do, they're going to get rewarded with a higher stock price.
1: Yeah. It helps when you can get rid of about $40 billion, uh, on that valuation that makes it look, uh, that much better, um, but I kind of want to ask you about your the outlook for SPAC. So, being a SPAC, you're you're used to giving forward guidance, and so with the FOMO that we've seen in, in Bitcoin and some of the, the individual equities, you know, I'll I'll throw out um, you know maybe Tesla out there with uh, a very high high price, thirteen hundred fifty percent price to earnings ratio is is pretty high. Uh, That means you're going to be expecting something to be coming down the road eventually. I'm wondering what you're expecting to come down the road eventually. Where are you seeing the highest demand for investors and what's your SPAC outlook for 2022 and beyond?
0: Um, So I, I think there is a very healthy appetite for people who want to invest in the next Tesla, the next Netflix, the next Apple at a very early stage, When you're doing that you're going to end up investing in the next we work at 40 some odd billion dollars and have it go down so they're not all going to work out for you but I, i think um right now we're seeing a lot of interest in areas that are driven by technology but where it was pulled forward during the pandemic for instance um telemedicine you know that that was something that i think was coming to the forefront anyway um, how you visit your doctor, how you receive your medicine, um, but I think when everyone was stuck at home and couldn't go to the doctor and couldn't get to their pharmacy, that, that pulled the, um, entire telemedicine industry forward by a couple of years. I think there's still a lot of interest there and a lot of interest in kind of helping through telemedicine, helping solve for the healthcare problem we have in this country. Um, another one is fintech, um, you know, we talked about it before, investor education. And, you know, you see Robinhood, you see the cryptos, you see Coinbase. Um, people are more aware of the markets right now. And I think people want to know how to invest and, you know, want, want to take their money and, and see a return on their money, a positive return. And they also want to know about setting up their um, families for things like wills and setting themselves up for insurance and setting themselves up just to, to have a... Healthier financial picture as they get older. Um, So, I think fintech um, is also another area. So, those are two areas that we focus on a lot. um, Where I I think a lot of people, um, you know, pretty much everyone out there, you know, deals with a doctor or a medicine in some way and deals with money in some way. So, if you can help the consumer do that better, faster, with a better result for less money um there there's a great opportunity there so there's a lot of com- companies coming into that space one one that i'll say the electric vehicle space i'm uh i i own a tesla but i don't own the stock of tesla um you know i i think there's th- there are going to be a lot of electric cars out there ubers made the statement that they're going to have all electric cars um but you know everyone's making them now so I don't see me ever picking the next Tesla or knowing if that's going to be um, Lucid or Rivian or Ford or Porsche or Mercedes or who who's going to do that, who's going to be the winner there. I don't know. So that, that's what leads people to say, well, I'll invest in the batteries. Um, I, I, don't, I, I think that, that industry is going to be here to stay. I'm not really sure how to profit from that um, because I think a lot of the companies that I've seen anyway, are talking about owning a big, say, 25% of the total market in batteries that's going to grow 100x over the next five years. But there's 10 companies that are claiming they're going to own a quarter of the market. And, you know, you do the math, 10 10 companies can't own 25% of one market. Um, so there, there's going to be uh, some winners, and there's going to be some losers also. So um, that that's one that for me is kind of, um, you know, and, and I'll add space exploration in there as well. Um, I probably, if I could figure out who can build the best rocket ship, I may not be here speaking with you right now. So, um, you, you know, that, that's one that, that's great. I love it. I love watching it. I love reading about it, but I don't see how I can profit from it or make money from it. So one thing I've learned in 25 years of investing is I can, I can watch that from a distance, um, similar to cryptocurrency. I'm watching it, I'm not investing in it, and I'm okay with that when when it takes off and goes up um, I'm okay with the portfolio that I have um, may change at some point, but I think that's one one thing I'd say for individuals is that this i getting caught up in the fear of missing out is um, a great way to lose money um, so kind of like having a plan knowing what you know and kind of investing around that sounds really simple, but it's um it, it's something that's always worked for me so I think There'll be there's going to be a lot of great private companies because you know we talk about hundreds of SPACs. There are literally thousands of great private companies. So there are enough companies to come to the public markets if they want to, whether it's through a SPAC or through an IPO or through a direct listing. So There's a lot of companies out there. It's just when when you're invest, you know everyone. We all know Apple's a great company. Kind of kind of not not really disputable, but. How much, you know, from 2.2 trillion? How much upside do you see from there? Um, mm-hmm. You know, but if you could get into potentially the next Apple at 2 billion, and it goes to 2 trillion, wow, there, there's a, a big reward there. But you're obviously taking on risks. So understanding that part, and I think investing in things you know um, just make it make it easier for you to understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people are going to be going back to work here pretty soon. So I'm going to leave you with this final question, being at the forefront of consumer technology investment for, for years and years. What's going to come first, fully automated, um, fully self-driving cars or the the drones, the self, uh, the human drones that can fly us you know, <laughs> where we need to go? Man, What's going to come know, first? I don't know. I'll
0: tell you, we, we invested in a company called uh, Jetpack. And they're making um, not just the Iron Man type jetpack, but also um, flying motorcycles. Wow. Um, you know, we, we've invested in another company called Tortoise that's making, um, you know, um, automated food deli- um, grocery delivery robots. So yeah. we're getting there. But, um, you know, if, if a car pulled up, I have six young children. If a car pulled up to my house without a driver and you said, put your kids in there. I'm not putting my kids in there. Um you know maybe I'll get there at some point so which one comes first I, I think um partially automated driving um maybe maybe that's a cop out but I I'll say um partially autonomous vehicles um are will be here soon and um you know the technologies there we we'll put we're sending people to the moon I think we can figure it out um but uh I I think it's going to take a while uh to get there and you know Even if you know, if if I could tell you exactly which sector it's going to be, you then have to figure out as as an investment, which companies are going to succeed there. And that becomes that much more difficult. So, um, you know, it's, I'd like to get a little more certainty around that. But as I say, we've started to look at the space. We've started to invest in the space. And um, the one thing that I'll, I'll say is a given is we have, great technological advancements happening in this country right now. So there, you know, I, I, the last thing you throw anything out at me, I'm probably not going to tell you we can't do that. Like, well, I think we have the, some great founders, great entrepreneurs and great technology. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, change you're going to see over the next five to 10 year period. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. If you can get a, a beer on a golf course already delivered by drone and then a pizza delivered automatically, you know, Maybe eventually you'll be throwing your kids in a car because if your pizza is safe, <laughs> maybe eventually your kids will be safe. <laughs> pizza
0: kids, I, I see where you're going with that. But um, you know, I guess the one thing, if they could make me guarantee me the six foot putt on the golf course, they can keep the beer and the pizza. If I could make those six foot putts. If, if you have a company that can do that for me, I, I'll I'll invest in that.
1: Yeah, ultimately that's the value you're looking for, right? That's it. I appreciate your time. Is there anything that we left out? Anything you want to to plug right now, how they can contact you, all that good stuff? Oh,
0: this has been great. You know, we're on, um, you know, we're online and um, you know, things, we, we get a lot of uh, traffic coming through here and you know, it's just, I, I, I love to help individual investors where I can. A lot of times it's from mistakes I've made personally and kind of say, Hey, here's what I did wrong. So don't do it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to um, help individual investors. Um, I think it helps the collective um, country if, you know, more people can make good decisions with their money.
1: All right. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Mike Murphy, CEO of Rosecliff Capital. Mike, thanks for being with us at Seeking Alpha. Lots of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to
0: podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
1: Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.